Welcome to COVID-19, Immunity in Our Community. Before we kick off the show, here's the latest COVID-19 vaccination news at the time of this recording on Monday, June 7th. At the start of this week, more than 301 million vaccines have been administered in the U.S. Over half of American adults are now fully vaccinated. The CDC recently updated mask guidelines. Fully vaccinated individuals can resume activities without wearing a mask or physically distancing. You are fully vaccinated two weeks after your final dose. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Marielena Salinas, and welcome, bienvenidos, to COVID-19 Immunity in Our Community, a podcast series brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. COVID-19 Immunity in Our Community was created to provide you with a groundbreaking science, honest facts, and unvarnished truth about the deadly coronavirus and the revolutionary vaccines that can put this pandemic behind us so we can move forward. Today, we're talking about how Hispanic Americans have been experiencing the COVID-19 pandemic and what is being done to close the healthcare gaps and build trust in the community. This issue is deeply important to me. I lost a family member to COVID-19, as well as several friends, and I have seen my community devastated by the pandemic, as so many in the Latino community have been essential workers. So I'm proud to be joining this episode as a guest host. The Hispanic community has long faced stark disparities in healthcare access, and today, they're being hit harder by the COVID-19 pandemic. The CDC reports that Hispanic Americans experienced the second highest COVID-19 hospitalization rate when compared with other ethnic groups. Getting vaccinated against COVID is essential to ensuring the health of our community, but many barriers stand in the way of ideal vaccination rates. Are the safety facts and sign-up directions being properly communicated in the correct language? Are there enough vaccination facilities in the neighborhood? Do people have the time and transportation necessary to get to a facility if it's far away? While vaccination programs are working to close these gaps, there's still plenty of work to be done to ensure vaccines are distributed equitably. Even if they've been vaccinated already, many Hispanic folks also know the experience of trying to convince a friend or an older relative that COVID-19 vaccines are safe. Due to a history of medical injustice against people of color or a flood of vaccine misinformation online, Hispanic Americans are more likely to be hesitant about receiving a COVID-19 vaccine. Travis Escobar knows that experience all too well. Today, we're going to hear from Travis about how he ultimately convinced his mother to get vaccinated and how he's continuing to conduct conversations about the vaccine with his friends. Then, I sat down with Dr. Eliseo Perestable, director of the National Institute on Minority Health and Health Disparities. He explained the barriers we need to overcome to reach the Hispanic community and how listeners at home should approach their own friends and family for conversations about the vaccine. So, if you have questions about COVID and vaccination, we have answers.
Travis Escobar is the founder of a networking organization in his home state of Rhode Island. His own mother was hesitant to get vaccinated against COVID-19, in part because of the misinformation that was circulating online. This included false claims like the vaccine will alter your DNA or over-reporting rare deaths after the vaccine caused by unrelated factors. Using a combination of strategies, Travis finally convinced his mother to make her appointment. Now that they're both vaccinated, they're finally able to safely reunite. Travis has taken his gentle, non-judgmental tactics to some of his hesitant friends and members of his community as well. To learn more about his experience with his mother, here's my conversation with Travis Escobar. Well, I hear you had a little trouble getting your mother to get vaccinated. Tell us about your mother and, and her process of vaccination. My mom has always been afraid of getting a shot, any any type of, she's afraid of needles. Um, so she wasn't really afraid of this particular vaccine. She just afraid of needles. Well, she was she was afraid of needles. And, you know, I think historically there has been sort of a fear of, of vaccines or sort of a distrust of vaccines from black and Latino sort of communities. So I think especially during this time with with this information um, out in social media or maybe even misleading headlines, my mom definitely saw that and I think was impacted by that. I would say for my mother, um, it did take some convincing and um, what I tried to do is just sort of provide her the opportunity to kind of do it. But I, I would say there was, it sort of took a, a, took a village of individuals to sort of help her get there. Um, her doctors and, and um, providing sort of that information of why these vaccines um, were safe. Uh, and I was so happy when she was scheduled and I was so happy to sort of just take her uh, to get her first and second shot. So what was your approach in talking to her about getting the vaccine? Yeah, so my approach was just to be positive and understanding and patient. Um, and I had actually gotten COVID uh, in the latter, latter part of, of 2020. So, so she was aware of that. And I think that made the pandemic, you know, more real, right? When you have her as a mother, she sees her son sort of get affected by this disease. And I think sort of her concerns and worries were lessening the the more she was able to sort of talk with people. But, you know, just, just being patient and being positive with her. And I think also another big factor for her was her wanting to meet with other family. And again, get that, forget that freedom, not be so constrained in her house, not necessarily be locked down in her house. Uh, she's also a childcare worker uh, as well. So her being out in, at her job daily, you know, in the childcare centers being uh, open early in Rhode Island, you know, we knew that she potentially could be more at risk of, of getting this disease. Now that you mention misinformation, we know that in many parts of the country, people are not getting vaccinated due to misinformation about the vaccine. What kind of misinformation are you hearing in your community? And also, what was it that created that fear in your mother? What did she hear? What did she believe? Yeah, I think initially we saw in the media uh, certain headlines where an individual takes the vaccine and they died soon after. There were multiple headlines like that, and they were very misleading because there was no correlation between 
that individual's untimely passing and them taking the vaccine. But in our, you know, unfortunate aspect where, you know, clicks and shares, you know, lends to to revenue for for a lot of these media companies. I think those were conscious decisions that that we saw um, certain media outlets uh, uh, take. And for a lot of individuals, you share a headline that becomes the headline becomes fact, right? Instead of reading into the article. Um, so I think that was definitely um, for a lot of people, and I, and I would see even within my own friend group, they would share those headlines, and then I'd read and I'd say, well, they stay here, like there's no correlation between, you know, them taking a vaccine and, and whatever happened to these certain individuals. And we've seen multiple of of those articles, and I think it's up to the news media to be responsible. Um, we've seen social media companies like Facebook and Pinterest, um, big outlets, uh, be more responsible in terms of making sure that they're not spreading misinformation um, around COVID. These, the you know, these companies, we've seen it in um, our, and this isn't anything new. We just, we recently just came off a, a recent presidential election, a recent election, where that was a major aspect, right? Just a bunch of misinformation that gets shared around between one candidate or the other. And it's unfortunate to kind of just see this spread into, um, you know, the, 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 the vaccine and sort of fighting this pandemic. What disparities have shaped the access of people that you know in getting the vaccine? I, I still think there's a certain amount of just, just fear and, and distrust. And there's been more within Rhode Island has been talk about, uh, you know, millennials and, and Gen Z young people sort of feeling that um, that maybe they don't have to take the vaccine, maybe sort of like COVID won't have necessarily impact with them or they can sort of just, you know, just wait on that. It's sort of tough because it's one of those things right now where I think it's I'm working individually. How do I share my story of like? I took the vaccine. I I was able to get my mom and take. She was able to take get the vaccine. And how do I share that on a individual basis right now? How do I go at least within my network, at least within you know social media, whatever sort of outlets I have, whatever sort of like networks I have? How do I sort of share a positive story of you know a vaccine's available? I took it. I didn't turn into a lizard. You know, I didn't I didn't get a third eye or anything like that. I think in Rhode Island, especially in our, you know, communities of color, I think we're at a situation where we need to sort of share positive experiences for those who can and, you know, have a little bit of patience. Tell us about your experience with other family members in the pandemic. What was it like communicating with other members of your family or your community? You say that you're thinking about how do I reach them? How have you decided to reach them? I relate the new like pandemic messaging, especially what we see on social media, to what's sort of going on in politics. If so, if someone falsely believes in something that's negative about the vaccine, I don't think it's coming at them harshly, right? I don't. I, I think I, if someone decides like, hey, I'm not going to take the vaccine, I don't think it's. I don't think it's saying like. It, acting like they're a bad individual that they are that they're deciding not to take the vaccine. For me, I think it's providing information, uh, providing correct information. If you hear uh, something that is misinformation, you know, just try to connect them to sort of resources, uh, be positive with individuals. I think if you sort of take a, I, I actually, 
um, a, a friend of mine shared experience, uh, shared experience. Uh, this, this person is still thinking about taking the vaccine still hasn't, you know, you know, decided, but this person was in a group chat and they felt sort of attacked and kind of left the group chat and kind of buried themselves into the opinion like, oh, maybe I shouldn't take the vaccine. I think what we've seen with our, uh, it, there is some comparisons, I think, to sort of the political argument where people sort of just argued with one another and kind of like, okay, you agree, you think this and I think this, we're just going to go off into our own corners where this this shouldn't be the attitude. This shouldn't be the energy that we take in when we're, when we're talking about everyone's health. Another friend of mine who's cautious about uh, getting the vaccine, I say, hey, you know, I'm going to travel again. I know you love traveling. We want to travel safely. We want to be able and go out and experience nightlife. We want to yeah. be able to go yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. What have your conversations been like? What have they sounded like with people that you're trying to convince? Walk us through those conversations. What do you tell them to convince them to get the vaccine? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of those times, I, I don't come off. I say, I'm not going to judge you if you don't take the vaccine. Right. I'm not going to judge anyone, any one of my friends. I'm not going to hold it against them. I'm going to share with you that the vaccines are overwhelmingly safe and I want to go back to normal. I know you want to go back to normal, uh, especially for for young people. Um, you, we could still pass, you know, if you haven't had, you could still pass this disease to someone who's immune compromised or older individuals um, who maybe haven't had the vaccine and they could have an adverse reaction. And I kind of just I, I, I try to just be a motivator. Like, let's let's try to get past this pandemic. I try to at least share with my friends that there is light at the end of the tunnel and I want you to be healthy. So how is your mom doing now after her vaccine? My mom, after her first and second shot, has um, been the same. She took Pfizer. She had a sore arm, um, but that was about it. I, I took her out to, to to lunch both times. We were able to, we talked about life. And that was one of the, you know, especially at the second time, it was one of those times where I felt really comfortable to just, you know, I can really now think about hanging out with my mom in different ways or giving her a hug and, you know, not have that concern. Um, she's in her 60s and it's, you know, when when you talk about, you know, individuals have gotten this disease, it's like if she gets it, this she could have a really bad reaction. So it was a weight lifted from my shoulders. After the first shot, like I, I teared up just a little bit and I didn't even know I had that in me. My <laughs> I didn't even know I had like I had that emotion in me. I was like, oh, wow. Like, I, I wow, I'm getting emotional right now, like watching my mom sort of take this this first vaccine shot. Right. But I guess it was just all of that built in over the past year or so and just understanding there's a weight that's going to be lifted um, over my shoulder. And yeah, she's been great. She's been great. Travis, what is the most important thing you want our listeners to take away from this conversation? The most important thing is if you have taken the vaccine and you have friends or loved ones that have not and are hesitant or uh, or, or they, they just don't want to take the vaccine to be patient with them. These are individuals I'm sure you love. So to show them love and uh, say that you care about their health um, and to talk about the things you want to do with them when the world is more open and when we have more freedom to do the things, uh, whether it's traveling or concerts or 
you know, going out to your, your favorite bar or whatever sort of activities um, you enjoy doing. Uh, for the people that are, that people that listen are maybe hesitant uh, taking it, um, just if you have friends or family that have taken a vaccine, definitely get their experience. But, you know, consult with your doctors and don't believe everything you sort of see on social media or in the news try to find the correct information and try to try to be as well researched as possible when making your decision and try to think about you know a world where we can sort of live without masks and not have all this all this great fear thank you travis With over half of adults already receiving at least one COVID vaccine dose in America, we need to pull together and use non-judgmental tactics to convince vaccine skeptics and increase vaccination rates to reach herd immunity. Open, honest discussions about vaccine facts can help hesitant people decide to get vaccinated. At the same time, we need to address the healthcare disparities that are preventing the Hispanic community from easily accessing the vaccines they need. Our next guest, Dr. Eliseo Perestable, addressed both issues, disparity and hesitancy. Dr. Perestable is the director of the National Institute on Minority Health and Health Disparities. The Institute conducts research to improve the health of minority groups across the country and reduce healthcare disparities. This work gives Dr. Perestable a deep understanding of the history and causes of healthcare gaps in the Hispanic community I asked them why these disparities exist and how we can help address them. Then we talked about why research shows a higher rate of vaccine hesitancy among Hispanic adults and what listeners at home can do to help convince themselves or the vaccine-hesitant people in their lives. Here's my conversation with Dr. Eliseo Perestable. Why has there been a history of healthcare access disparities within the Hispanic community in general? Well, Hispanics uh, have been a important uh, demographic minority group within the U.S. that grew exponentially, really, after 1980 uh, until probably now plateauing over the last few years. Uh, much of it is immigration, but uh, keep in mind that 70% of Hispanics now living in the U.S. today were born in this country. And because of the type of employment and level of education that occurs for the majority of Hispanic groups coming in, and there's variability, um, they are often employed in positions that do not have health insurance coverage as part of their benefits. So they have the highest rate of uninsured uh, of any group in the United States right now. Uh, in addition, many came in without speaking English, and this limited English proficiency has been a barrier. There are now many clinicians who do speak uh, Spanish, but initially there were very few, and one had to depend on interpreters or family members or friends to help uh, engage with a clinical visit. That lack of healthcare access, did that contribute to the fact that Latinos had such high incidences of of COVID-19 infections, hospitalizations, and deaths? In part, yes, absolutely. The, the rate of infections is greater at every age for Latinos compared to whites. This is not because lack of insurance, but it's because of the living conditions and the structural inequities. So again, the type of work, 
they had to go out. They had to go work at service uh, jobs, construction, transportation, and therefore could not have the luxury to basically telework like I do uh, and stay home uh, and do almost everything uh, from a safer environment. Uh, they put themselves out for greater risk also in healthcare and therefore uh, more likely to be infected. Now, if they got infected, they came back home to a bigger household than most of us, a household with either two families or three generations, and much more likely that the abuelo was infected or uh, the uh, other adults in the household would be infected because there's just no room in most of these households to self-isolate um, and thus be separate from the rest of the, of the group. The third factor is that most majority of Latinos uh, live in dense urban environments. So they're not living in uh, single family suburban homes or the yard. They're living in buildings with 10 floors of apartments and therefore are much more likely to be around people, encountering people who are strangers and therefore more likely to be exposed. Now, after that, the lack of access to health care or the limited access does lead to delays in seeking care. And there's been data showing that uh, across the board for over the last year. They present to clinical attention in a more advanced clinical uh, condition for with COVID, if they more shortness of breath, more pneumonia, and therefore are more likely then to have to be hospitalized. And of course, that means it's a more severe case and therefore higher likelihood of dying. And that's been true across the board, across all ages for uh, Latinos and other, actually other racial ethnic minority groups as well. Now that all adults can get the vaccine, what are the challenges that stand in the way of equitable vaccine access? Well, initially, and I'll share my own story, I'm over 65. So I said, well, once the District of Columbia said, you can get a vaccine, I, you know, I'd get on the website to try to get an appointment. It took me three times, three tries to, to get an appointment. Uh, and I live in a, quote, a priority zip code. So one had to have the, the knowledge of how to do that, have a computer, uh, be patient, know how to navigate a little bit on the website. And when I did get an appointment, I wasn't sure. I didn't get a confirmation. So I, I called the number they said to call. And the first thing I heard was there are 300 callers ahead of you. So you can imagine that if you're working, you just couldn't do that. That if you have to take care of three kids uh, or you have other responsibilities or older adult that you're that you're taking care of you couldn't do that and for older adults many are not computer savvy many don't have computers they use the phone for their digital access and the phone they, they are they're on a data plan they're not unlimited so all these barriers were were there that would have cost them money to just get an appointment to go get a vaccine so with the supply being short Uh, initially, the demand was overwhelming and the people who got in to the door first were those with more skills, more education um, and more resources. And just that was just the way it played out. Now we can correct it because now we have plenty supply to vaccinate every single person in the United States over 16 who wants a vaccine and will accept the vaccine. Another thing that seems to stand in the way is vaccine hesitancy. Now, what is NIH doing to address the issues of mistrust and misinformation about COVID-19 and the vaccines? Yes, vaccine hesitancy has been on our priority since uh, last summer. Uh, the, the group that had the highest rates of hesitancy have been the African-American community, um, partly related to historical mistrust 
but the Latinos were in between, and that proportion is probably not going to go much below 20%, 20-25% of people who, when you ask them, will you take a vaccine for COVID, they'll say probably not or definitely not. The reasons for hesitancy are complicated. Uh, we actually launched a, a program to study it with uh, research projects, not to see why, but actually to address it, to intervene. And these are grants that are about to be uh, um, funded now. And because it's not just going to be COVID, but it's also going to be possibly the flu vaccine, another respiratory virus in the future, the hepatitis vaccine. I mean, there are other vaccines that also we should be getting be more effective. So I think that those reasons why people are hesitant uh, need to be studied, addressed, and find ways to intervene to, to avoid that. Um, but there's also a lot of misinformation. And uh, at NIH, we launched the uh, Community Engaged Alliance, Research Alliance Against COVID-19 last summer with the National Heart Lung Blood Institute. Dr. Gary Gibbons and I co-lead that. Uh, we have programs in 11 states right now and are about to fund 10 additional sites. The main goal we had was to address misinformation, to really build trust in science and trusted messengers. And the trusted messengers that people uh, rely on the most are your local doctor, your, your local nurse. Of course, uh, Dr. Fauci is always good to have, but uh, we really rely on local regional experts to provide this kind of advice. And we have seen the professional community really step up to the plate uh, in contributing to this. And it goes all the way from uh, health-related professionals to uh, community leaders, to faith-based leaders, um, and, and yes, and celebrities and athletes can also help and pitch in on this. So we, we feel comfortable with the progress we have made in this. How should we approach the hesitant Hispanic community to convince them to get vaccinated? Well, I, I think that uh, the experience we have is to be clear, the simple language, fact-based on the science that we know, uh, address any misinformation. Don't consider any question to be, you know, oh, that's a dumb question. Oh, that's, no, we, we, if you think that, that someone's gonna inject a microchip into you, well, you don't laugh it off. You say, no, that's not possible. We don't, we don't do that. That's never been developed. That what we do is it's inject a protein that has instructions for our cells then to manufacture the antibodies against the COVID-19. I think that we as scientists and, and doctors um, have the experience that we can explain things in a way that is clear and, and understandable by everyone and not be using jargon or scientific terminology that no one's going to really understand just to make it look like we really know a lot. And that's the way I dealt with patients uh, a lot of the time when I was practicing medicine um, in my prior job. And I think the same principles apply in public health communication on this. So address specific concerns, whatever they may be, make sure you reassure them on all of them. Just go with the facts. Don't try to pretend that, oh no, it's okay. Don't worry, it's never good. No, you tell them what side effects there are. Uh, what the process is, uh, where the material came from, how the manufacturing happened. You know, people say, well, how did you get to a vaccine so quickly? Well, it was because there had been 20 years of research uh, that led to the discovery of this platform. This did not come out of the air. This did not happen over three months. Um, it really did took, take a lot of effort, basic research, uh, to develop this platform. And in many ways, it is a, a huge advancement in science 
science that we were able to uh, mobilize our scientific knowledge to get to this point uh, as we continue to try to control the pandemic. Right. If uh, some people are not even believing doctors, what should listeners at home keep in mind if they're trying to convince a hesitant family member? How do they talk to them? How do they convince them? Well, in the science and the practice of persuading people to change behavior, we know generally that badgering doesn't work. People will, you'll give them the facts, you give them the information and you say, I'm here for any questions. Uh, and we have to give people space and time. Uh, I learned that from uh, working with smokers, for example, about you know quitting smoking. And, and that uh, for all the times I would say, well, you gotta do it for this, gotta do it for that. You know, until they were ready, they wouldn't do it. Uh, and with, with enough time and patience, uh, they successfully saw many longtime smokers kind of reach a point where they were able to quit. Now, it's not exactly the same thing with the vaccine seen uh, hesitancy, but I do think that um, we can't really force people to do this. They have to be voluntary, they have to be willing, and they have to be ready. And and sometimes they'll surprise us and they say, okay, I'm ready. So the, other, the other strategy that'll work is to create the opportunity so they don't have to plan it. So you can say, oh, you go to the doctor for something else. Oh, by the way, we have the COVID vaccine. Do you, do you want it? And in that spur of the moment, they may all that all that all that they have heard from uh, about trying to get the vaccine may kick in and they say, OK, well, I'm here anyway, so might as well. And so I think that's another way of doing or reaching out to people very proactively. So not the person who's trying to convince you, but a new person who says uh, we're giving vaccines today. We're, we're we're going visiting people at their home or at the community center uh, and we're offering you. Do you want to roll up your sleeve or, you know, and, and I think sometimes that structural uh, approach uh, can be effective as well. Would the buddy system work? Let's go together, or why don't you and my tia go and get the vaccine together, or your neighbor? Absolutely can work, and I think that that's a, a great suggestion. Uh, so um, maybe two people are afraid, but then together they, they they can give each other more more coraje and 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 really get to the to the to the vaccine and say, okay, let's do it. And, you know, maybe uh, they can have a uh, someone else who, who helps them. But I think that's a, a great suggestion of how to how to do this as well. So not force, not badger, uh, but inform, be patient, uh, and be supportive. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, Marielena. It's time to start a conversation with the people in your life who have questions about the vaccines and alleviate their concerns. Find the root of their hesitancy and share the facts without judgment. At the same time, the systems that distribute vaccines will keep improving to make it easier for you to book your appointment. If you haven't been vaccinated yet, you can lead by example. Like Dr. Perez Table said, getting vaccinated against COVID-19 is essential even if you're young. It helps secure your own safety and the safety of everyone around you. To get vaccinated, go to vaccines.gov or vacunas.gov and click Find COVID Vaccines or 
Encuentre vacunas contra el COVID-19. The site will help you determine where you can get the vaccine and how to make an appointment. You can get vaccinated regardless of your immigration status or if you have health insurance. You don't have to worry about paying for your vaccine. Your taxpayer dollars are funding the rollout, so there's no individual cost to you. If someone asks you to provide your insurance information, that's only so your vaccination provider can bill your insurance for the administrative cost, but you will not be personally responsible for any expenses. I'd like to thank our guest, Travis Escobar and Dr. Eliseo Perez Table for sharing their thoughts and their expertise with us today. Tune in next time for Episode 7. COVID-19 Immunity in Our Community was developed and paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, part of a public education campaign to increase public confidence in COVID-19 vaccines while reinforcing basic prevention measures. We can do this. Presented by iHeartRadio, the episode was executive produced by Ethan Fixell. It was written, engineered, edited, and mixed by Edie Allard, with original theme music by Brad Kemp, with research assistance by Alessandra Tejada. If you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed COVID-19 immunity in our community, please do so on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Marielena Salinas, and this is COVID-19 Immunity in Our Community. Thank you for listening. Gracias.